This podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. Hello. Hi. This is episode 41. We're getting up there. In a we have 11 million. more until we have a full year's worth of episodes. Oh, that's that's kind of scary. Who let us do this? <laughs> Who put us in charge? Yeah. Not Annie, that's for sure. Well, she was not having it. <clears throat> All right. So before we get into stories. Mm-hmm. We're just going to shout out a couple places. I wanted to shout out. We have listeners in Ireland. That's kind of fun. Ooh, that is fun. And then we have Kansas. 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 Uh, Kansas. Oh, I hate myself for what I just said. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that. I do too. I hate <laughs> myself too. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so we just want to shout out those areas today. I felt like that was a good areas. And I also don't remember doing them before. Um, we also wanted to mention, um, what were those things? Discord. We have our Discord up and going. So if you want to be added, please message us on Instagram, Twitter. I hesitate to say Facebook, but I'm sure I'll get it from somewhere if you do Facebook or email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and we can definitely get you all set up there. For Instagram, it's Podcast. Twitter, Pod. Good luck. <laughs> Listen, Hell on Hills podcast was too long for Twitter. It really, yeah, it was. <laughs> Twitter was like, you need to tone it down. And we were like, no. We're like, we'll just make different handles for everything. Yeah. How about that? Watch me. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll unify. Probably not. Yeah, um, that's no. too much work. Yeah. Don't count on it. Sorry. Uh, and then we also want to just mention our Patreon, uh, where we have released. The Jack the Ripper special, as well as several game night specials where the three of us were trying to get to know each other. And now we're beyond that. (laughs) And now we just really don't want to talk to each other anymore. Yeah, no, we're over it. We're over each other. I just, I only talked to Amanda for Annie. So. Yeah. And Annie knows that. That's why she just won't shut up ever. Yeah. Because, you know, me and Annie are girls in the hood. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyways. She had butted me. Oh, well, you had something you wanted to tell me. Not bad. Um, <coughs> so, oh, excuse me. I texted you earlier and I said that I have something exciting. Uh, I am very excited because my semi-hard work has paid off. Um, and I have a the fruits of my harvest, only it's not a fruit. <laughs> Look at the little pepper. <laughs> It's the tiniest bell pepper in existence. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know, a half inch big. Not even, probably. It's Maybe like a quarter. There. It's a pepper. Yeah. I grew a bell pepper. Wow. <laughs> Which, for us, like, being in the middle of, like, a water conservation effort, I grew a bell pepper. Okay. You grew a damn pepper. Yeah. From okay, well, that- clearance plants at that. Well, that's kind of funny that your your prideful moment is that you grew a bell pepper because I told you I have something shameful I have to show you. Yeah. Grab it. Look how dead my plant is. <laughs> um, so this plant got left at work in uh-huh. the office oh. and I hadn't gone in in a minute. Oh, no. So we're going to... Was- 
see what we can salvageable. I still see green in there. There's a lot. Yes. And then these, but these are crunchy. Oh. Yeah. Um, I still see life. It can be. I, there is life right here. She's green. I need to put more water in today. She's, her leaves are thin. That, so I, I had to do the walk of shame out of the building with my <laughs> You're better than me. I probably would have just thrown it in a trash can. I'm going to try to revive it. I have. I still have two other plants at my office that are somehow still alive. Don't know how, but they're alive. Uh, maybe somebody is watering them in secret. But why wouldn't they water this one? Maybe they didn't like it. They had something against it. Maybe it's because I named her Francine. I don't see the problem with that. I immediately think of American Dad, and Francine is my favorite. Well, listen, my other one is named Dolores, and then the other one is named Christopher. Christopher? <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I have Christopher is also not a fern. <laughs> okay, I I don't know what to do with you anymore. <laughs> I haven't named any of mine yet. So listen, Dolores and Christopher are doing great. Okay. <laughs> That's apparently they hogged all the water. They're not in the same pots. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, Dolores was struggling. Christopher and I have no idea what type of radioactive freaking world that thing can live in because what kind of plant is it? I have no idea. It was left oh. on my desk one day and it just became mine. You work in a magical place. (laughs) What is this like? Oh, God. What is it where you run around in the chair? Musical plants? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, so Christofern is actually a group. I haven't named the other two because they're basically dead. And I don't know why I keep trying with them. But there's so I think what happened is the manager I got hired under left. And he had all these plants and he took clippings of them and like repotted them for everyone as like a goodbye gift. And everyone was like, well, Bryce has plants. And so the plants are kind of converging into (laughs) my desk. And I'm like, I'm not there. They're not being cared for. You're going to have like the Megazord of plants when you get back to work. (laughs) Well, I mean, I was there on Monday and I still have the same ones. (laughs) For now. For now. So um, I've got, so the Christofern, I've got to name his, his other two buddies. But I was thinking about doing like a band name, like Christopher and the somethings. I don't know yet, though. Christopher and the undead. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. It's done. Christopher (laughs) and the undead. Done. Anyway, so that's that's funny that your pride is you grew a plant. My shame is that I killed a plant. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's wonderful. Not planned as well. (laughs) No. Anyways, so there you have it. How is everything else? Good? Annie's thinking about it. I think it's good. You good? Yeah, she's yeah. good. She looks good. Okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm ready for a story if you have one. I think you might know this one. Very common. A very well-known case in the true crime world. And it was also pretty highly publicized. I've read a book on it. It's a good book. And the book is called Murder in the Yoga Store by Peter Ross Range. It's free on Kindle Unlimited and it's a quick read. Sorry, I don't do Kindle Unlimited. 
Oh, well, I'm sorry. I bought multiple months at a time, so here we are. This happened. Uh, do you know what this is, by the way? Do you have any idea? I don't think I do. I bet you'll start saying names and it'll make more sense, but. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with a name. Rachel Ertley. She arrives to work at 8 a.m. the morning of March 12th, 2011. She's a manager at a Lululemon in Bethesda, Maryland. And she, Maryland. 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 She goes to unlock the front door only to find out it's already open. And when she steps inside, it's a mess. There are clothes on the floor. There's mannequins turned over. She sees a large TV just shattered on the floor. As she's walking through the store towards the back, she sees bloody footprints and she hears a low moaning sound. So at this point, she runs back outside to call the police. And people have been lining up outside waiting for the Apple store to open. It's directly next door to the Lululemon. Because at the time, they were releasing the new iPad 2. I don't know what we're on now, but I know it's not 2. So this is a while back. That's a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, I think we're in like, I don't know. Ryan Huff saw Rachel distressed and he asked if she was okay. And he offered to go into the store with her and look around. This guy, I mean, honestly, he deserves a prize. Mm -hmm. They go inside together, but Rachel stops about halfway through the store and Ryan continues alone. As he gets to the back, he sees the bloody footprints and he yells, is anybody here? When he doesn't get an answer, he starts investigating a little deeper. He tries to open a door only to notice that it's blocked by somebody lying on the floor in a smear of blood. He pushed the body and there was no reaction. As he was noping his way out of there, he sees another woman lying on the floor. There was blood spatter around her, and she had multiple wounds. She had cuts on her hands, arms, chest, and back with a large laceration on her forehead. Her hands and feet were bound with zip ties, and her arms were positioned awkwardly above her head on the floor. And her black yoga pants had been ripped at the crotch. She laid motionless with her eyes closed, but Ryan could tell she was alive because he could see her chest moving as she was breathing. Ryan ran back outside to Rachel, who called 911, and told he told Rachel that a man was dead in the store and a woman was still alive, but she had been sexually assaulted. Within minutes, Montgomery County Police arrived and Officer Kristen Newth, I believe, headed inside the store. She saw the woman bound lying in the bathroom and she continued to the back of the store. When she forced the door open leading into the back hallway, she saw blood spatter on the walls reaching six feet high in some places. Smudges of blood on the exit door and facing the wall was the body. Ryan Huff had assumed it to be a man, but it was actually a woman's body. She was face down on the floor in a large puddle of blood with a rope around her neck and a toolbox had fallen off the shelf and had landed like on her upper back like back of the neck area and the stuff inside the toolbox had kind of fell out and it was scattered on the floor around her the crotch of her pants and underwear had also been slit exposing this is a her separate girl right there's multiple in this position basically right yeah this is the this is the girl that's in the back not okay. the girl that he saw moaning in the bathroom uh the crotch of her pants and underwear had also been slit exposing her rear end 
The deceased victim was 30-year-old Jaina Murray. She was described as fun-loving, a risk-taker, and a dynamic person. She was known by her cackling, whole-body laugh. She was adventurous and outgoing. She was described as the life of any party and the spark in a relationship. And this girl was athletic personified. She sounded like she was down for anything. She was known to always be doing cartwheels, handstands, and backflips in the store while they were working. She went. I mean, look at her shoulders. Like, yes, she is. She is in shape. Yes, she is like the epitome of. I don't even know youth athletic muscles. She's the epitome of muscle. She's like, and she's not big. She's just very. She's very tall. Yeah. This woman went rock climbing, spelunking, trampolining, trapezing, skydiving for her 30th birthday. This woman went bungee jumping off a bridge into a 191-foot Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. Yes. What is spelunking? I feel like I know what it is. I just can't pinpoint it. I meant to Google that and forgot. So give me a I think it's what, like the underwater cave diving. The lunking, the exploration of caves, especially as a hobby. Hell yeah. One hundred on I don't like spelunking. Oh I, no, I if, would not do it. I would like it if the cave had a large opening where I don't have to see through things, but I would like pictures. it if the cave was a swimming pool. I would like it if the cave was like a massage parlor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> so let someone get on that. Yeah. Like y'all are, I want very basic levels blunt. Spelunky. Let's yes. spelunk it up. Spelunk it up. Spelunky. That's just a fun word. I, I do like that word. It's almost as good as noodling. Like when the people go fishing for catfish. I've never heard noodling. Oh, really? It's where you like, they put their hand down in the water and like wiggle their fingers to make it look like a worm. And then the catfish literally just grabs onto your whole ass arm. That sounds like a nightmare. Oh, I wouldn't do it. I'm not crazy, but it's done. Jaina Murray, she sounded like she was just naturally good at everything. I read that she was recruited by a coach in high school to throw discus and shot put and she went on to set records at her school doing this. She started dancing as a child, but her teacher said that she didn't have the right body for ballet because she just had such an athletic build. But she was such a good tap dancer. She was recruited to dance with the tap dancer, like legendary tap dancer, choreographer, and actor Savion Glover. Wow. So it to just be sounds- honest, I don't know who Savion is, but I'm going to just say wow because you me up like, <laughs> I think he is very widely regarded as the best tap dancer in, I don't know if it's the world or America, but I watched a couple of videos and he knows what he's doing. The but best he is, tap dancer in the world. Let's see who it is. Ann Miller. Oh, no. Savion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she was recruited to dance with him. So it really sounds like no matter what this girl did, she was just damn good at it. She was actually at one point aspiring to dance on Broadway professionally, but eventually decided to pursue not one, but two master's degrees. And at the time of her murder, she was 10 weeks away from completing one in business administration and another in communication. 
She traveled a lot. She lived in Australia as a child. She spent four months in college on a ship in a semester at sea program. She traveled to India and she visited Mother Teresa's orphanage while she was there. She climbed the Pyrenees Mountains her freshman year of college. Her goal was to visit every continent. And at the time of her death, the only one she had left was Antarctica. Some sources stated that Jaina actually wasn't scheduled that night and she was filling in uh, for another manager who needed the night off so she could start her vacation early. And so just all around, she just sounds like an amazing person. The police quickly free the injured woman and she's rushed to the hospital and treated for her wounds. 28-year-old Brittany Norwood recounted to police what she could remember from the attack from her hospital bed. And this is what happened, according to Brittany. Both women left the store at about 9.45. However, when Brittany made it to the subway and reached for her Metro card, she realized she had left her wallet at the store. So she called Jaina, and they both met back at the store. Brittany said that they looked for about 10 minutes, and when they couldn't find it, Jaina offered to let Brittany use her card so she could get home. Because Brittany did, or I'm sorry, Brittany took the subway. Jaina had a car, so she offered to let Brittany borrow her Metro card. As they were headed back to the front of the store, they were attacked by two masked men dressed in black. Jaina was hit in the back of the head while the second man jumped from behind a clothing rack and hit Brittany in the back of her head. She claimed he drug her around by her hair and cut her multiple times with a sharp metal object. Brittany told police the men threatened to slit her throat if she said anything. He called her multiple demeaning names and racial slurs. The men raped her on a glass, or the man raped her on a glass-strewn bathroom floor for what felt like hours, using not only his penis but a wooden clothes hanger with serrated edges. Before he demanded Brittany show him how to open the registers and safes in the store, like this all this all happened. This is what she's telling detectives from the hospital. And I'm not done either. There's more. So, okay. I'm just trying to figure out if I should be suspicious of Brittany. Uh, You should follow your heart. Follow my intuition. (laughs) I don't don't have a lot of intuition that's accurate is the issue. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see. Okay. 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 Continue. Brittany said that Jaina was yelling and fighting, but the second man kept hitting her. Jaina was drugged to what Brittany thought was the bathroom where she continued to hear her struggling before she heard something break. Brittany said the attacker then dragged her by the hair, her as in Jaina, by the hair to the rear hallway where the man beat Jaina until her screams faded into nothing. Brittany claims that she tried to help Jaina before trying to run out the back door, but she was pulled backwards by her hair. And she seemed traumatized by how much blood there was because she mentioned it multiple times to the detective that there was just so much blood. She told the detective one man was tall while the other was short and they wore tight gloves and masks. And she couldn't give a race, but she said judging by their voices, she believed them to both be white men. Brittany asked the detectives, what happened to my friend? But the detective had gone straight to the hospital and not to the scene. So she wasn't able to give Brittany a say in whether Jaina had lived or not. 
As news broke out, the citizens in Bethesda panicked because this was a very safe, very quiet place. And in 2011, Jaina was one of two murders in 2011 in this area. Yeah, so the public kind of lost their minds. Uh, From what I read, a lot of, especially women, uh, they weren't wanting to go to work at night because this happened at... I mean, I mean, 10 o'clock at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Like, I mean, unfortunately, I think that's still the case. I mean, yeah. Societally, it's a lot of women just don't want to do things after dark. Because this is, I mean, what it's, we grow up with most of the time. And right. Another reason they were afraid was the absolute brutality of this crime. Jaina suffered 331 separate identifiable wounds. 331? Uh-huh. Three, or I'm sorry, 105 of them were defensive wounds. 232 were blunt force injuries. 99 were sharp force injuries. She had over 100 wounds on her head. 39 of them were on her face. This is a quote. <clears throat> Which was defiled like a jack-o'-lantern. And her skull was fractured multiple times. She lived through 300 and the th- 330 of the injuries. The final injury was a stab to the back of her head that severed her, final co- her spinal cord. How do they know that was the last one? Uh... I'm not sure how they could tell that. Uh, from what I read, most of the other ones, they had some kind of bruising, some kind of bleeding. Some, But when you're dealing with that many, I really don't understand how you can tell. Um, and from what I read also, there were 331 separate identifiable wounds. So there may have been more, but there were so many, they had trouble counting them and being able to tell like, Oh, okay, this is a new one. This is possibly from this one. Well, on top of that, like, this area could just look multiple stab wounds, but maybe not how many. Mm-hmm. But especially 300? How does 300 fit on a human body? Um, <clears throat> I wasn't done. Uh, I'm done with that part. Okay, um, there was estimated to be between five and ten weapons, including a hammer, a wrench, a straight-edge box cutter, a wheeled box cutter, a metal peg used to hang up mannequins, a steel rod used for hanging clothes, a razor, and rope. I'm just going to throw this out there. That if this was like a crime of opportunity, I don't think there would have been that many weapons. Like, I'm struggling to see someone coming into the store and having time to switch between weapons when she's supposedly fighting back. Are you left or right-handed? You're right-handed, right? Yeah. Hold that thought in your left hand. Yeah. With the caterpillar or whatever the hell that is. The caterpillar. Okay, yeah. Hold it in your left hand. Uh, hold that thought. Okay. Lulu Lemon had no security cameras. 
which is unfortunately something they ran into a lot because, like I said, this was a very safe area. Um, but the Apple store next door, they had a camera over the back door of the store, which was really close to the back door of Lululemon. And it pointed towards a parking lot. <clears throat> About an hour after Brittany said that she and Jana returned to Lululemon, two men dressed in black appeared in the footage. One had a black backpack and was wearing a black knit cap that could be pulled down and worn as a mask. However, this would later prove to be nothing more than a red herring when both men were discovered to be dishwashers leaving their shift at a restaurant close by. Police also talked to two employees of the Apple store who heard the attack through the wall that Apple shared with Lululemon. A woman claimed that while she and the other managers were tallying receipts for the day, she began hearing strange sounds. So she went up to the wall and I guess kind of put her ear up to it. And <clears throat> this is a quote as well. It sounded like something heavy was being hit or dragged, some grunting, some thudding, some kind of high-pitched squealing or yelping. So she grabbed the senior manager, and when the two returned to the wall, they heard a hysterical female voice, heavy panting, a forced expelling of breath. They both told of hearing two female voices. One said, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Why won't you tell me? Talk to me. Then the other more hysterical voice said, stop. Oh, God, please help me, God. After this interaction, they continued to hear grunting or screams, but no more words. And they described what they heard as a desperate panting before walking away from the wall. Security footage showed the employees first seemed to notice the noises at 1010 and they stopped hearing anything at 1019. The police were never called and Apple never sent their own security guards to investigate because the noises were assumed to be some drama. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, hey, um, human people. If you mm -hmm. hear what sounds like someone in distress, whether you think it may just be drama or not, you should at least probably, as a good human, check on the other humans that seem to be in distress. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Please. Just future reference. Yeah. Just a thought. Throwing it out there. Yeah. In into the universe. Into the ether. But let's let's maybe just look out for one another. We're all here for, I mean, we're, the same thing. You know, we just want to live a happy life. We are all stuck on this world together. So mm -hmm. might as well be happy together. Yes. Police, um, oh, like I told you earlier, this is when they started looking around for other businesses, security footage. And they very quickly ran into the problem where not many people had them. Brittany, she spent one day in the hospital before going home. She lived with her sister in Washington, D.C., and Brittany's colleagues described her as petite but jacked. She attended Stony Brook University on a soccer scholarship, 
She came from a large, close-knit family. She had four brothers and four sisters. And she was said to be always laughing. She enjoyed living well and looking good. She was a self-admitted neat freak. And she was passionate about working out. She had only been at this Lululemon for about a month. And two days before the attack, she had interviewed for a position as a personal trainer at a luxury gym called Equinox. And she had been invited back for a second interview. Detectives visit Brittany again, and although she is described as crying and shaking, she is able to remember a few more details about the men who attacked her. And through this whole thing, police said it was just really painful to listen to her. She tells police that the men who attacked her wore a black hoodie over his mask. And this is the man that attacked her specifically. He smelled like cigarettes and he sounded like he was in his mid-20s. She said that the pair was definitely white and they laughed a lot while committing the assaults. She said it seemed like the men were playing the video game Grand Theft Auto. She also told police that when she tried to escape through the back door, they threw her down onto Jaina's deceased body and into her blood. The men told Brittany this is because of you and that they only kept, they only kept her alive because she was fun to have sex with. She told police that the men knew her name and where she lived. She speculated they got her information from some bills that had been in her purse that night. Police also asked Brittany about a pair of men's shoes found at the crime scene. They were found on a rack with no shoelaces and blood spatter was on the top of the shoes. And the shoes matched the prints in the store perfectly. So when police asked Brittany about them, she told them that the store kept these shoes to let men wear when they would alter their clothes because Lululemon is like a high-end athleisure store for women, but they do have a small number of clothes for men too. The evidence was starting to pile up, but it wasn't really making sense. Police didn't understand why the robbers would not only leave the shoes behind, but wouldn't bring any weapons with them to rob this store. Every weapon found in the store, I'm sorry, every weapon was found in the store and none were brought in from the outside. There was also the matter of how the girls were treated. Jaina lost her life while Brittany escaped with only superficial injuries. Only two of them required stitches, the one on her head, and she had another one, oh, this one just makes me nauseous, between her thumb and forefinger on this little piece of skin. Yeah. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, her rape kit showed no damage, and the nurse told them that it doesn't necessarily mean that the rape didn't happen, but that there was no tears or tenderness because of it. With the possibility that Brittany is not a victim, but the perpetrator, detectives begin to look at the evidence again. They notice that Brittany's wounds on her legs don't match the cuts on her leggings. And that while she had cuts on her chest, there were no holes in the shirt that she was wearing that night. They also noticed two distinct footprints in the blood. One matched the shoes that Lululemon allowed the customers to wear, while the other one matched Britney's shoes. 
However, when the prints overlapped, the men's shoe was always on top of Brittany's shoe prints. And there's also the fact that the prints never left the store. Instead, they led to a chair in the back of the store close to a sink that would later test test positive for blood. Which led investigators to believe that the man's footsteps were made after Brittany's and not during a struggle. I said those two sentences backwards. I'm sorry. Wait, say it again. The men's shoe prints were always on top of Brittany's shoe prints, which led investigators to believe that the man's footsteps were made after Brittany's and not at the same time during a struggle. And the prints also never left the store, but instead they led to a chair in the back of the store, and it was close to a sink that would later test positive for blood. Meanwhile, police had found Jana's car that had previously been missing from the scene of the crime. It was a Pontiac G5, and it was found parked three blocks away. Blood was found on the steering wheel, the stick shift, and on the the buttons on the door. They also found a black Lululemon hat in the back seat that also had blood on it. The specimens collected from the car showed traces of Jana's DNA, with the majority being from Brittany. The hat that was found contained only Brittany's blood. Police asked if Brittany had ever been in Jaina's car, but she replied that she hasn't, and she didn't even know what Jaina drove, as she had only seen it one time. A few days later, Brittany's brother, Chris, and and her sister, Marissa, call and ask detectives if she can come in to speak with them again. So the next day, the trio headed to the station where Brittany told police that she had actually been in Jaina's car. Prior to sexually assaulting her, the men forced Brittany to drive Jaina's car to the lot that it would later be found in. The men told Brittany that they would be watching her the whole time and that if she talked to anybody, she can consider herself dead. And when the police asked why she didn't just keep going, she said because they knew where she lived. Hey, don't go back to your house. Call the police. Uh, well, Jaina told the police that she did see an officer that night. And she passed people on the street, but she didn't say anything because she was afraid. And when the police asked her if the people, like, looked at her funny because she's covered in blood, she told investigators, I don't know if they saw and that she was wearing the hat while she was driving. Police start to wait, 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 wait. Because now I'm having so now I'm feeling validated in the fact that I was suspecting Brittany. Because I'm sorry, girl. How did you get back to the store? She walked alone. Yeah. Why? Because she was afraid of the men because they knew where she lived. Okay, but if and the men are in the store and you pass cross paths with an officer you go to the officer you say there are men in this store that are attacking me my friend they get arrested you don't worry about it i mean that's probably what i would have done i'm not walking my ass back to that store to be tortured more no police start to pressure Brittany and eventually allow her brother and sister into the interrogation room to explain to them 
the mounting evidence against Brittany and her siblings refused to believe that Brittany was responsible for the assault. Her brother, Chris, even told police she's a little girl and she's scared shitless. Maybe she was stupid about it. After requesting to speak with Brittany alone, police leave the room. And the following is part of a conversation between Chris and Brittany. Brittany, I don't know how it happened. Chris, was it shoplifting? Were you trying to steal? Brittany, no. Chris, then why did you fight this girl? You tell me. I can think on my feet and I can help deflect these guys, but I need information before I can do that. Brittany, oh, no. <laughs> Brittany asked Chris if he was sure the police couldn't hear him and he assured her that he had been looking the entire time but didn't see any recording devices. We know how that goes. There was both video and audio recording in this room. Chris assured Brittany that their family would support her and they talked about getting a lawyer. He even went on to direct her how to lie and told her to stop looking down and to the left because it was a tell. At 1.54 p.m. a week after Jana's death, Brittany Norwood was arrested. She waited for her trial in Montgomery County Jail where she was described as obsessed with grooming. Her phone calls were allegedly all about getting her hair and nails done. Prosecutors were trying to have Brittany convicted of first-degree murder, and they had a ton of evidence, but unfortunately, it was pretty much all circumstantial. They entered the or they entertained the idea of a plea deal to spare the Murrays a trial, but the family actually preferred a trial in hope that they would find out what actually happened that night. Because we still don't know. Brittany has never admitted to what happened that night. Now, police do have a theory, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. People were, oh, excuse me, um, in court, Brittany was well-groomed and she was dressed sharp while she remained stony-faced and void of emotion. People were in disbelief that Brittany could have committed such a brutal crime because Brittany was 5'3 and 127 pounds, and Jaina was 5'5 and 160 pounds of, like we said, just pure toned muscle. Okay, but that doesn't mean she's going to know to defend herself against someone she trusts. Exactly. This is, you know, this is a coworker. You've worked with this girl for how long? A month. Yes. Actually, good memory there. A month. <laughs> the defense shocked the court when they admitted that Brittany did kill Jaina. They argued that the murder wasn't premeditated, but that Brittany had actually committed a crime of passion, passion when she lost it. They played into the narrative that the prosecution would introduce. And they believe that the evidence told a chilling story of what happened that night. So this is what happened according to the prosecutor. The door was open and the alarm was disarmed at 10.10 p.m. Uh, I'm sorry, the, arm, the alarm was disarmed at 10.05 p.m. And they argued that the attack began at 10.10 based on the Apple employees in the back room where the excess store pegs are stored. 
Jaina was thought to have been attacked from behind when she dropped her bag. She attempted to run to the front of the store, but she only made it to the flat teen TV, which Jaina knocked down, leaving a bloody palm print on the wall. Bloodied clumps of her hair were found on the floor along with her jacket, leading investigators to believe that Brittany had a hold of the jacket before Jaina shed it in an attempt to flee. They believe that Jaina then ran to the back door, leaving another bloody handprint on the push bar. Her cell phone was found shattered nearby on the floor. This is where Brittany had chased Jaina and cornered her at the other end of the hallway where, according to blood spatter evidence, Brittany continued to attack Jaina until she fell first to her knees and then completely to the floor at 1019 when the Apple employees said that it had gotten quiet. Brittany then decided to move Jaina's car as it was believed to have been parked illegally in a no parking zone due to the scarcity of parking spots in the area. Prosecutors argued Brittany would have had to move the vehicle to avoid unwanted attention. A police officer had seen somebody sitting in a silver car with the headlights on in a parking lot at 12.30 a.m. the night that was three blocks away from the Lululemon. Prosecutors argue that it was Brittany in the car developing her story. She then returned to the Lululemon and purposely stepped in Jaina's blood before walking around the store creating the footprints. She repeated the process with the size 14 Reeboks that belonged to the store before washing both pairs of shoes in the sink. What Brittany failed to realize is that her blood-stained shoestrings left tiny marks when they slapped against the floor as Brittany left the sink. She threw clothes, a broom, a mop, and a chair, and hangers to create artificial chaos before she used a box cutter to slash her own face, chest, stomach, thighs, back, and leggings before binding her own ankles and wrist using zip ties from the shelf near Jaina. Then she laid down in the broken glass and blood spatter, blood spatter in the bathroom and pretended to black out. Okay, wait. She said some horrible things happened to her. She said she was raped. Uh-huh. Because the way she talked about it, that would have left some serious damage. Yeah, they did do a rape kit, and I did mention it earlier, but it was just a very short blip about it because, according to the nurse, they found no trauma. Okay, I blacked it out. Yeah. It was literally like a sentence or two because that they found nothing, and the nurse did tell police, this doesn't mean that nothing happened. It just means that there was no tenderness or damage done, which but I agree with you she claimed to have been raped not only with anatomical a, parts but a serrated, serrated yeah hanger that's where i'm stuck is she's saying that has got to hurt your lady bits like that does not sound mm. pleasant in mm -hmm. any way no and if she's i guess in my head i don't know how she wouldn't have had trauma yeah, same. Uh, and that was something that the police found weird, along with the fact that one of these girls lost their lives and the other one spent a day in the hospital. Not even a day, I think a night. Maybe a day and a night, whatever. Yeah, she got stitches and pretty much walked away. Which, the fact that she did that to herself still, like, damn. Dedication. Yeah. 
allegedly, because like I said, Brittany has, from what I found, never elaborated on what actually happened that night. The prosecutor claimed that this elaborate lie would have worked if Brittany had not left the shoes in the store and moved the car. After six days of testimony, the judge sent the case to a jury. The jury deliberated for less than an hour before returning a verdict of first-degree premeditated murder. Jury members claimed to have trouble sleeping at night due to the sheer brutality of the case. The jury later told, or the jury later, you know, spoke to the media and they tried to take, they claimed they tried to take into account the defense of Brittany snapping that they portrayed, but they claimed that it was hard to believe when she inflicted 331 injuries without stopping. In the end, one jury member was quoted, it was just not really a hard conclusion to come to. How do you hit somebody 300 times and not think that you're going to kill them? So that was what a lot of the jury members themselves got stuck on. The fact that she hit this person at least 331 times and never stopped. That's a lot to just be like, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. I feel like once is a lot. Yeah, 331's overboard, especially when she lived through all of them but one. Uh, yeah. And in the course of nine minutes, she inflicted that many wounds. Mm-hmm. With various objects. How many per minute is that? Um, I think I read somewhere that somebody said it was about three per second. Or, no, I'm sorry, see. one per every three seconds. Hold on. 331 divided by nine minutes. We're looking at 36, 37 wounds per minute. So Jesus Christ. 37 divided by 60. Ooh, not 660. Whoa. So, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's more than a wound per every two seconds, though. Nine minutes. There's 60 seconds. 37 per minute. You're looking at more, less than, you're like, uh, less than a, two seconds per wound. In nine minutes. That sounds, uh-uh, no, that's too much. At sentencing, when Brittany was given the opportunity to speak, she apologized for her crime and asked the judge for hope that she may be released someday. The judge, Robert Greenberg, uh, did not do that. He actually claimed to have gone home and mimicked stabbing something 331 times. He said that her actions represented the worst of human behavior. He said, after every blow, you had a chance to think about what you were doing. Instead, you mutilated this woman. He also okay, Sorry, I got my calculator working. It is a stab wound about every 1.6 seconds to 2 seconds. Oh my god. So, I mean, did she really have time to think between each each blow? Because they're coming so fast. I mean, I feel like you still made a conscious decision she, to... Yeah, she did. I I'm mean, not defending her. Yeah, 10 minutes? Almost. No. The judge also spoke of the Apple employees... The callous indifference of the people who worked at the Apple store who heard this crime happen and did not a blessed thing to stop it. 
Brittany was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Good. Now. Bad. That, that sounded bad. Oh. Your sigh. Your oh, sigh. no, 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 no. <laughs> um, the jury came to this decision without a motive, like I told you earlier, because the judge ruled it as hearsay. So I'm going to get into that. We know now that Brittany, while she was described as a beautiful, bubbly, charming woman, she had a checkered past. She had a long history of stealing that goes back to at least her college soccer team. And she had told police that she graduated from Stony Brook University. She never got her degree. Uh, it wasn't clear why, but I did read that she was there on that soccer scholarship. I assume that she never got her degree because she was kicked off of that soccer team because people she kept stealing from people. She had also been fired from Lululemon for abusing the associate discount program, but uh, she was reinstated and transferred after she contested it. And from what I read, uh, during the holidays, they like close the store and they have a special like shopping day for employees and they have a limit to how much you can purchase. She did go over this limit, but... She wasn't the only one to to do stuff like this. Like multiple employees just bought a lot of stuff. And from what Brittany claimed, her manager knew that she was going to do this. So because of that, she was given her, she was reinstated and she was moved to the Bethesda store. Now, there was also multiple complaints of Brittany stealing from the girls at the Bethesda Lululemon. And when they went through, Brittany was the only person that had worked the day of every complaint. So the company and the managers were aware of the situation and they had been trying to catch Brittany in the act. The night of the murder, Jaina left the store and she immediately called Rachel to report that as she, were leave as she was leaving, she caught Brittany red-handed stealing a pair of $100 leggings. Lululemon had a policy that when people leave for the night, they check each other's bags. And that night, there's usually three people that close. The other person had called in. So Jaina and Brittany were the only two there. They checked each other's bags. Jaina found the leggings with the tag still on them in Brittany's bag. And Brittany told Jaina that she didn't have a receipt because she had actually bought the leggings from another coworker that had worked earlier in the day. So when they, she told Brittany, she's like, we'll figure all this out tomorrow because they had already shut down the store. The computers were down. They, she couldn't check the day's sales. So, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out tomorrow. Let's just go home. Before she called Rachel to report this, she did call Jaina, the other coworker who told her, no, I never brought, I never gave Brittany any leggings today. So they, they caught her and what they were trying to do. And Lululemon, they knew that she was stealing from coworkers. They had no idea. They said that it didn't even occur to them that she could have been stealing merchandise. It's the first thing that would have occurred to me. Honestly, me too. I would have assumed that someone's going to steal from a store before they steal from an employee because she had stole like uh, up to $200. She stole like an expensive 
perfume from one coworker, and then another coworker was like, "Yeah, I saw it in her bag." Like the kind of like you know messy crimes here. So she got busted. So what took Jaina back into the store, though? It was when Brittany called her and claimed that she didn't have her Metro card. That was police believe that they did that. She did that from that moment. She decided that this was what she had to do. And that's why she called her and claimed to forget her wallet, which Brittany did apparently tell her brother. I really did forget the wallet but she also yeah she also told him that she wasn't stealing right but i mean like the wallet part was her truth so that's what she could cling on to be like well no i'm i'm telling the truth Mm -hmm. but you don't know about what Uh, police also go to say that based on this theory or this information i should say it makes sense what the apple employees heard Because that would have been, like, you know, tell me what's going on. That would have been Brittany trying to get Jaina to tell her what the company was planning to do. And Jaina wasn't saying anything. Because Jaina doesn't necessarily know. Well, she was a manager of the store. But, yeah, from my understanding, they, they knew. Like, I think Brittany knew that she was about to get busted. She was about to get fired. And this was going to mess up that great personal training job coming up that she had at this other gym I just don't I don't like it um I absolutely hate it uh that is the story of the Lululemon murder oh okay I will tell you I have not ever heard that one oh wow I was happy not having ever heard that because look how cute Gina is she oh my god she is just and it's sad because you think about Brittany, she had these opportunities. Like, it's not like she didn't have some sort of opportunities in her life. She had a scholarship for playing, what was it, soccer? Yes. She had that scholarship. She she had the opportunity to complete her degree. And she could have gone and done, I'm sure, great things with a degree and all of that. But mm-hmm. Sad. It's just and sad. also like she probably would have been great at this gym as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just she didn't do it right. She just the temptations got to her, I guess. But that's what just... do they call it? Champagne taste on a beer budget. Yeah, champagne taste on a beer budget. Listen, mm-hmm. that's me. Oh, that is hundred percent me. Mm. Actually, I no, I'm like a. Girl. I'm a beer taste on a beer budget. I like beer. Beer. Listen, I'm fancy. I like my I like to pretend I'm fancy. Oh, you drink with your pinky out? Yeah. Actually, funny story with that. Cody does drink with his pinky out, and I tease him relentlessly. Really? Uh tell him the Queen of England says hi. <laughs> It's only, it's funny because it's only when it's like a soda can. What? Yeah, so (laughs) at least that's all I ever notice it with is like a soda can. So he's only classy with the absolute least classiest thing. The the least classiest drinking utensil there is. Yes. Oh boy. Cody is a card. Uh, He's a joy to have around. (laughs) 
Well, that was that was a story that you said. Are you ready for mine? Oh, I am. I don't even know what it is. I haven't gone yet and looked at pictures. Well, you might after I tell you. Um, we are going to be talking about Demon House today. Oh, son of a bitch. What? <laughs> Did you already start research on this? No. I, oh, God. I, I don't know what this is. I just really hate this photo. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'm glad that you don't know what it is. Um, we're going to lighten the mood a little after your story because that was awful. I don't want to look at these. Okay. Okay. So let me find my notes. Uh. <clears throat> okay. So this is also known as, as the Ammons House Haunting. And are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So this house is also known as, so it goes by Ammons House Haunting, Demon House, or 200 Demon House. Very is that, specific. Is that an address? No. Oh, okay. Because there's two potentially 200 demons. Oh, uh, burn it down. What the uh, hell? Burn it down and put a river of holy water. Okay. Better yet, just put a priest in a river on the property. All right. Well, you know what? In November 2011, single mother Latoya Ammons moves into a home located at 3860 Carolina Street. There's the address in Gary, Indiana. I like that both of our stories happened in 2011. I I made that connection earlier and I kind (laughs) of giggled to myself. Well, I'm giggling out loud now. Well, now we can giggle together. (laughs) This should be called the Giggle House. I'm just kidding. Oh, no, that's even worse. 200 giggling demons? No. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so with LaToya comes her mother, Rosa Campbell. And her three children, whose names I do not have, but they are age 7, 9, and 12 at the time. They're moving into this home. It's a rental property, and it's, uh, it's a small one-story with a basement home. So, you know, not anything too crazy. Um, just days after the family moves in, they notice the strangest thing happening. Smell. Remember, this is... What? Was it a weird smell? <laughs> no. Oh. Not quite. Um. These might be attracted to smell, a stinky smell, because they notice flies swarming their front porch. Oh, just the porch? Yes. But also, do you remember I said it was November? Yeah. How often do you see swarms of flies in November? Um, In Alabama, constantly. In Indiana, probably not. Okay. For those of you that live in a colder climate, how often do you see swarms of flies in November? Never. I don't appreciate the way I was just completely cast aside right there. Like, <laughs> well, just, like everybody that has four seasons instead of one and a half. <laughs> well, sorry to cast you aside, but get your seasons together. To educate Amanda, in November, December, and colder climate, Flies in swarms are not quite a thing. Like, we have fly season during the summer, and then they go away over winter, you know? I do know that now from living in Arkansas, yes. Okay, well, just just making sure. Okay, well, the family, they take measures to kill the flies, but they just keep coming back. They can't get rid of these flies. Well, that keeps happening, and then the family begins to hear footsteps in the basement. And Rosa Campbell, the mother, grandmother, she recalls hearing these. They were 
typically happen after midnight. And she said they would sound like they were climbing the basement stairs and they would feel like they would hear the door to the basement open. But when they went to check, no one would be there. And they would hear this after even having locked the basement door for the night. Oh, absolutely not. Yes. And I'm going to just shout this out. I got a ton of information. I should have done this before. I got a ton of information from Indie Star, which is a local news outlet for Indiana. Thank you for all the information. I appreciate it. <clears throat> so. They hear that. They, I mean, they just start hearing doors creak. Latoya later, Latoya later witnesses a shadowy figure. And she says it looked like a man pacing in the living room. And when she got up to investigate, because there shouldn't have been a man in their house. When she got up to investigate, she found what she called unidentifiable wet boot prints. I'm going to need you to go back to the basement and never come out. Ever. You could stay in the basement. Mm. They start hearing dogs barking and they don't own a dog and there are no dogs in or around the home. And things are just escalating and kind of getting real crazy for them. Latoya claims that she was choked by an invisible or an unknown force. And on March 10th, 2012, just months after the family moves in, the family states that this is when things turned and they started feeling really fearful like they weren't just kind of on edge they were truly fearful at this point at about 2 a.m uh the family was up they were mourning the loss of a family member so most of the family members were awake some of their kids were asleep and stuff so just a hard day altogether so latoya ammons and her mother rosa campbell claimed to have heard screaming come from from one of the kids bedrooms so they go in and their 12 year old daughter or granddaughter had been levitating above her bed. She had a friend staying the night that supposedly witnessed this. And so her daughter, sound asleep, unconscious, levitating above her bed. They say they just started praying like they didn't know what else to do. I don't know if I would know what to do, but they just started praying until she was returned to her bed. And when they asked the daughter about it, she had no recollection. Uh, good? I guess. I would rather her not have a, a recollection of it. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't either. So, I mean, at this point, Ammons is like, I don't know what to do. So she starts seeking help and she goes to one church that tells her, you know what? Clean the house with bleach and ammonia and then use oil to draw crosses on every door and window because it sounds demonic. Like, let's start trying to cleanse your house a little bit. Okay. Yeah. They also recommend to her to pour olive oil. Okay, take note of this if you think Annie is possessed. Um, they recommend to pour olive oil on her kids' hands and feet and then smear the oil in the shape of a cross on their heads. I don't know how it cleanses anything, but it does. Uh, first of all, it sounds, it sounds like a concussion waiting to happen um, from the feet part. And also, how long does it have to stay there before I can bathe her. I did not get that detail. Probably be like safe and do like an hour. Bless you. Thank you. Um, do I have to say that at the end? Bless you. Yes. And does it have to be expensive <laughs> olive oil? It's got to be the extra virgin. 
but does it have to be like the nine dollar or like the fifteen? Maybe get like the fifteen dollar. Like I feel like in this situation, better play it safe. Cool. Okay. Okay. That's I fine, also but don't know that... if it needs to be extra virgin. I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh well, shit. I had written that down. Extra no. virgin is in all cap. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm just messing with you. It does not. It didn't state that it had to be extra virgin. Okay. But but maybe again, not canola. Yes. Olive oil. Uh, The expensive stuff. Okay. So I guess this is supposed to like cleanse them. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. So they start to reach out to more people and they reach out to two different clairvoyants. And these both state that the house was plagued by more than 200 demons. And you're gonna need a lot of olive oil. <laughs> I know. We're gonna need way more. You just get We're the gallon. So much. Okay. I'm just gonna plant a tree in the backyard. <laughs> well, Ammons and Campbell accept this because they are of a Christian faith, and so they're like, "Oh, okay. We're there's demons." I mean, they don't accept it. Like, "Oh, cool. There's demons." They're like, "Oh, this is the explanation. Accept it." Okay. Okay. So. Ammons, she's like, well, I'm not able to move, even though the clairvoyants are like, you should probably move. I mean, she's a single mother. She doesn't have the income to just up and move, you know? Yeah. So she's not able to move. So instead, she's instructed, okay, build an altar in the basement. So she I gotta uses... go down in the basement? Yes. Damn it. Okay. So she uses an end table, covers it in a white sheet, puts a white candle, a picture, not a picture, a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Um, and they have a Bible open to Psalms 91. Psalms? Palms. Psalms. Psalms? Psalms. I think it's Psalms. That sounds yeah, right. I'm going to go with Psalms. Um, and during their creation of the altar, it was described that the people involved were wearing like a white shirt. And they had done like a white scarf as like a headdress. Just, I, I don't know why. They just made it a point to say that. I don't know if it's like for virtue or I don't know. But they made it a point. If you know what it means, tell me later. I would have to go buy all white stuff because. I am a filthy, dirty person, and things drip when I eat them, apparently, so I don't Listen, much I white. think, I want to say, like, a lot of, we just, you guys, we didn't record this, but Amanda and I just had a discussion about the LDS church out in Utah. Long discussion. Took us, like, it, an hour. And I'm not even LDS. I was just trying to explain things the best I could. It was eye-opening. I think when they go into the LDS temples, like if you were to have a temple recommend, I think they wear white. Oh. So I feel like it has to do something with the virtue. I don't know. Okay, that, I don't that know. would make sense. I could see that. Anyways. um, So they then go on to sage the shit out of the house. Uh, they, so they, you know, they burn the sage. And also they said sulfur. Don't know what that does, but I guess it's supposed to help cleanse of demons. Where does one acquire sulfur? I thought thought that was like the little trail that demons left behind. I didn't know you were supposed to burn it to get rid of them. I don't know either. I think there's something wrong with my keyboard too, by the way, because I can't Google it. Anyways, something about sulfur. I I, I, I don't pretend to know what's happening. I just read the word sulfur and went, okay, cool. So they also go through the house and they read Psalms 91 aloud as they move through the home, starting from top to bottom. Um, and I guess this kind of worked. Nothing odd happened for about three days. Okay. But I mean, that was a blissful three days. Uh, afterwards, she starts seeing her kids are being afflicted. Oh, so oh, she's uh, like when they would be, as she described, possessed. 
She said their eyes would bulge. They would have these evil smiles and their voices would deepen. I have no words for how. <laughs> I don't. I don't I just, the first thing that popped into my head was how much does it cost to put your child up for adoption? Because um, I know like the state charges you if you have to put your, your child into a, a foster. Yes. I, I mean, oh, to me, I think care. It, yeah, I think it's bullshit because like, how are you supposed to pay if you could can't keep the child? Whatever. I'm sorry. That's my personal beliefs. But I know it costs money. It's like child support. So how much? How much money? And um, um, I think it's income based. Perfect. I don't have one. Uh, take but the child. James does. No, we got to get a divorce because this child they get y'all got to go. I guess James is legally <laughs> responsible for said baby. Y'all got to go. Your voice is deep now. Get a get a phone <laughs> job. Okay, something you got to help because you got to go. Well, their younger son is seen talking to an unseen friend, a little boy. Oh. Um, he's found in a closet talking to him and their youngest son tells them that the boy was describing what it felt like to be killed. A oh. headboard fell on the 12 year old daughter causing her to need stitches. Oh my God. The older son. So the nine year old son was thrown across the room by an unknown force. The 12 year old oh. daughter would go on to tell healthcare professionals that she would feel as if she were being held down and choked. During these incidents, she couldn't speak or move, and she would hear a voice that would tell her she would never see her family again, and she wouldn't live for another 20 minutes. I feel like telling that to a doctor, you're going to lose your children. I, 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 well, we'll get it. Okay. Oh, boy. The seven-year-old son allegedly had his eyes roll into the back of his head. And he was growling and saying, it's time to die. I will kill you. You're going to die. Things of that nature. How can you? I'm a mom now. How can you look at your children doing stuff like this and still love them? I would be Um, absolutely terrified of my daughter. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you this is what I know. Okay. And she's got three kids that are doing weird shit. Oh, God. Oh, God. And they outnumber her. Oh, no. Uh, Yes. Oh, God. Um, Some nights were so bad that the family would actually pile into a hotel just to get some sleep. Um, Did it follow them out of the house? Not that I could tell. Okay. That's good then. Okay. Uh, On April 19th, 2012, the family reaches out to their physician, Jeffrey. God, I didn't Google this. Onyeku? Yep. <laughs> okay. O N Y E U K U. I don't know. That's Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff. Yeah. We're going to go with that. He visits the home and he notes that the family's behavior is what he calls delusional. The youngest son cursed him in d- demonic voices and was what they said raging at the doctor. Um, Hold on, I pulled up my source that talked about sulfur. Oh, sulfur. Yeah, they burn sage and sulfur throughout the house. I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. They I burn sulfur. Anyway. Anyways, I don't know. Anyway, so seven-year-old boy is raging at the doctor. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. Um, no. <clears throat> they then claim that the boy was lifted 
and thrown into the wall. And this caused him to pass out and he wouldn't come to. And so someone from Dr. Jeff's office contacts police. And the children are taken to the hospital where staff makes note that the older son was acting calm and rationally and the younger was screaming and thrashing, reportedly taking five men to hold him down. Oh. Yes. Uh, with this... And how... I'm sorry, how old is he again? Seven. Young. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. With this, in 2012, the Department of Child Services is alerted to the welfare of the family and the children. DCS caseworker Valerie Washington is assigned to the case. And she reportedly gave this as her initial investigation. And it's, quote, Hospital personnel examined Ammons and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated Ammons and determined she was of sound mind. Okay. And so, the, the children here? Um, well, she believed that the children were possibly performing for their mother. Her mother had a very deep religious uh, belief system, and so they thought maybe the children are acting out because their mother is kind of projecting onto them. Okay, well, actually, she goes in to interview the seven-year-old and he would growl and bare his teeth at her. And the youngest then wraps his hands around his brother's neck and ooh. would not let go. The adults had to pry his hands off of him. And while in the hospital, the younger boy just was looking at his brother, growling again, stating, it's time to die, I'm going to kill you, I will kill you, things like that. And he ends up headbutting his brother in the stomach. Now, when grandmother Rosa Campbell intervenes, she goes and grabs his hands and she starts praying with this seven-year-old's hands in her hands, right? And she said he got a weird grin, walked backwards up a wall to the ceiling, flipped over his grandmother, and landed on his feet. She wasn't holding his hands strong enough. She was holding him the whole time. Oh, no. No. Uh, oh, I so hate reportedly, that. she, they did not release hands. Um, I don't know how that worked, but that doesn't sound pleasant. Oh, hell, that's a um, woman right there. I would, uh-uh, uh-uh. Listen, Woo. Grandma Rosa is not one to mess with, okay? Woo. Now, even better is reportedly the DCS caseworker, Valerie Washington, as well as hospital staff, were present to witness this. And Thank they just God. GTFO out of there. They saw that and said, bye. What? No. <laughs> Valerie Washington, the DCS caseworker? Yes, goodbye. Don't leave me with him. <laughs> Well, you, your grandma Rosa, whatever, you're fine. You can handle it. Whew, that woman is grandma Rosa is strong in her faith she and in her gems. Yes, I believe actually grandma Rosa didn't have anything happen to her. In one of the sources, it said she was born with some sort of protection or guardian, something around her. So she never had any afflictions, but uh, Latoya Ammons and her children did. So damn. So okay, grandma Rosa, cool. she's. She's kind of like untouchable. Yeah. What is it? Bathed in the light or something? Bathed in the blood? What do religious no people idea. say? Religious what people? Do, what do you say? What do you say? What is? What are people bathed in? The the the, the blood? river of I don't know what they're bathed in. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. 
I'm not, I am not going to Google what do religious people bathe in. <laughs> I can see the search results now. Okay. <laughs> no, thanks. Let's just keep going. <laughs> Anyways. So reportedly the boy did not have any memory of this. Um, basically when the doctor was like, can you do it again? He's like, what the hell are you talking about? And cause the doctor was not present. It was a nurse that was there. Why would you ask him to do it again? <laughs> Because that could be a cool party trick. I don't think it is. Parkour. Uh, no. <laughs> no. I don't like it. Do not parkour with the devil. <laughs> um, after this, the family is separated and DCS took emergency steps to take custody of the children. With all the claims, the story gets sensationalized. I mean, the New York Daily News is the one that reported that DCS had actually seen the demonic paranormal activity. And so, I mean, it got super sensationalized. A photo ends up being released by Indianapolis Star, which claimed to show a shadowy figure in the... God, I forgot to move that. Vacate that from your face or your head. (laughs) That's supposed to go somewhere else. It's being vacated from my vacated. face. Vacated. Okay. Um, the family goes to hire Father Michael Maganot. Maganosh? Ma- it's Maganot, but everyone said Maganosh. I don't know. He okay. Father comes in to perform an exorcism. Now, I was a little confused by the verbiage because they kept talking about, oh, we hired him, we hired him, we hired him. But I don't remember ever hiring a priest. Are you guys for uh, sale? I thought you were like voluntary basis for exorcisms. I think sometimes in the Catholic church, they, they charge question mark. I don't know. That's why I'm saying, I don't know. Exorcism. Do you have to pay a priest for an exorcism? (laughs) James asked what we were talking about. And then he was immediately like, oh, that's not in my wheelhouse. I don't. James needs to mind his own business unless he has answers. She said to mind your own business unless you have answers. <laughs> Anyways, the family goes on. They get Father Maganage, Um, And I mean, during his interview with the family, his initial interview with the family, he notes that lights would flicker. But when they would go to investigate, they would stop flickering. So, like, someone's messing with the light switch, but come, they come near and they take off. They're like, hey, not me, you know? I just envisioned, like, a kid doing it, but there were no kids. I could see that, but also it seems like something very demonic to do, to just be like, ho, 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 can't find me. <laughs> well, it is Demon House, or House of 200 <laughs> Demons, so. Just saying. Um, the blinds would move on their own when no one was near and there was no airflow next to them. They were in the house when unexplained wet footprints show up in the living room again. Can you just wipe your feet? (laughs) I'm walking around around in my socks, man. Come on. (laughs) Hey, Alma. When a crucifix is placed against Latoya Ammon's head, she convulses. And... He did this interview on April 22nd, 2012. He does conclude that the family is being tormented by demons. And he does go on to perform a total of three major exorcisms. Uh, Two of these were performed in English, one in Latin. And one of these was performed on Latoya Ammons herself. 
Now, 37-year-old police captain Charles Austin, who assisted in the DCS investigation of the family, actually ended up coming to the conclusion and belief that there was, in fact, paranormal activity in the house. He said he initially believed that the family had created the story as, like, a money-making scheme, um, and that, that he believed that until he visited the home. And they note that they're, so they go into the basement and they're like, well, that's really weird. All this basement right here, right down here is all, um, are you making concrete? fun of me? No, sorry. <laughs> that sounded really country I accent. Think, I think I just watched a show where they had the country accents and that's where my <laughs> head went. I'm sorry. No. Uh, at first I was like, this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Next time it will be making fun of you. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so they go down basement right here. You were saying always their basement. <laughs> Y'all come back now. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Don't come back now. <laughs> <laughs> so they go down there and they notice that it's paved. Like there's concrete flooring all throughout this basement, except for underneath the stairs where it is exposed dirt. Okay. Well, that's just half-assed. Well, they said it was a little weird, and he said he felt like demons were emanating from beneath the stairs. Cap that shit off. Put it, yes. Put, put it back. Yes. Put it back. Build it, and then build it again. <laughs> well, <clears throat> um, during the visit, they had issues with uh, electronics they had an audio recorder that they had just put batteries in fresh batteries and it blinked as if the batteries were dead after the visit they noticed that they had evps so they unwittingly got evps that just said hey and they couldn't figure out where it came from they couldn't identify the voice they just said hey oh, that's evil because <laughs> now you're going through being like greg was this you jeffrey did you say hey right here and no you just that is so much work for no reason. Yes. So they they hear that voice and then they take a picture of, you know, the basement stairs and they say there is a white cloudy image that resembled a face. I couldn't find that image. I also didn't try that hard. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> going to be honest. You Would you prefer me to lie or be honest? I'm going to. I didn't try that hard. <laughs> but. They take that picture and then they also take a picture outside, which I did find that one. You're welcome. I don't like that um, one. On so. the porch where it looks like there is a silhouette of an unknown figure. <clears throat> Later it's, on. What? I'm sorry. I was just going to say it's so uncomfortable, this photo, because by looking at it, you can tell it's not human. But then also, like, you can tell it's something. I mean, I will say one of our favorite people doesn't believe the picture. So, Zach Bagans, actually, uh, I'll get more into this. He basically said that he believes that it was an app done on a phone. So, he doesn't think it's a real picture for that one. I mean, on, on what grounds? He, I don't know. He said it looks like an app <laughs> that created it. I don't know. Anyways, point is um, really strange. And Captain Austin, on his way home, said he had some issues. He said <clears throat> the driver's seat in his personal car started moving back and forth on its own. 
The mechanic stated that the motor on the seat was broken and it could have led to a serious accident. And yeah. also his garage would not open. So that's that's a bonus. This is the most inconveniencing demon. Like you're just cutting the lights off and not letting garages open and moving my seat back while I'm driving. Like, don't get me wrong, that is dangerous and slightly terrifying. But like at the same time, like this is diabolical. It's like right? Finding a rock in your shoe every day. This is what he's <laughs> doing to this. Don't be giving people. them ideas. Hot damn. Oh, microwave their deodorant too. God, I can't with you. In May 2012, Ammons, uh, police and father Maginot. So at this point, Ammons, Latoya Ammons and her mother are not in the house. They're like, they're somewhere else. I'm not living there. I don't blame them. No judgment. Yes. So I think they're living at this point with a relative in Gary, Indiana. But they do return to the house and police end up digging up the area underneath the stairs. For what? Um, this was Father Maganoch. Maganoch? Maganoch? I don't remember his name. I'm Father. sorry. Father. Father M. He wanted to see if there were any satanic runes or symbols or a pentagram okay. or anything under there. He wanted to see if he could find evidence of satanic rituals. Right? So, they don't find evidence, but they do find a pink press-on fingernail, a white pair of panties, <laughs> Did you just gag? I just gagged at the pink press-on fingernail. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why that is so... Okay. Just one, too. That's so gross. Okay. Anyways, they find a pair of white panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, that so one just, got me too. So it was just the ankle of a sock. <laughs> yeah. I was saying, like, what kind of sock was it? A tube sock? Was it like up to my shin here? Either way, like, who wants? Maybe to- they were DIY like warmers. That's okay. I can okay. see that. Maybe it's a uh, wristband. I don't know. Um, they found some candy wrappers and also a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. What is know. going on in this basement? <laughs> They don't find a pentagram. So they, they bury it. They they zhuzh dirt back in. <laughs> they just throw everything back in the hole and bury it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong here. Just dump it all back in the hole. Just one pink fingernail. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uncomfortable. Um, Father M blesses the home as they're leaving. Or as they're there, I should say. And a CPS worker or a DCS worker, whatever you want to call it, CPS, DCS, I don't care. Um, this is not Valerie Washington because she was so frightened she refused to come back, reportedly. Again, no judgment. Yes, no judgment. The new CPS worker that joined them had actually touched a strange substance that felt what she described as slippery yet sticky between her fingers. First of all, why are you touching strange substances? I was about to say, who sees a liquid and just is, I wonder like, what that feels like between my fingers. Slippery but sticky. What? I know you heard the story from the woman that quit. <laughs> why are you touching random liquids in this house? Because that was at the hospital, not at the house. That's even worse. 
This is your PSA if you need one. Don't touch random liquids at the hospital. Oh, no, no. She, this was, she was at, this new CPS worker is at the house, but Valerie Washington was at the hospital. Oh, okay. Okay. Other, yeah. So other way around. Gotcha. Still don't touch mm. liquids, but. Yeah, still don't touch it. Anyway, so this same CPS worker states that she, like 10 minutes later, she felt her left, left pinky start to tingle. And when she looked at it, it was whitening. And she said it hurt so much it felt broken. I don't like that. I don't know. I don't, I've never broken a bone, so I don't know what a broken bone feels like. I so haven't either. I just, I'm here. Um, officers also find an oil-like substance drooping from the blinds in one of the rooms. They could not figure out where it was coming from. Oh, and girl's fingers. <laughs> no, because I think she had already booked it out of the house at this point. Too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, my finger feels broken. I better go. <laughs> A very convenient excuse to leave. <laughs> so they clean up the substance because they're like, well, that's weird. I don't know what this is. So what they decide to do is they're like, okay, we're going to clean this up. Thank you, officers. And we're going to close this bedroom door because they, they're like, well, Latoya Ammons and her mom have been smearing olive oil everywhere. It's all up in here. That's, that's what the wet footprints are. It's all fair, oil. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. So they close the door, but they, like, put a Q-tip in it to, like, see if anyone messes with it. Because, like, they'll be able to tell if someone goes in, right? Okay. Um, When they re-enter, they could see that the Q-tip was still there. Like, not messed with. Still where they left it. And <clears throat> the oil was back. Just seeping from the blinds. Put the cucumber... I mean... <laughs> put the cucumber back! Put the cucumber back! <laughs> Put the Q-tip. I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. Put the the Q-tip back in the door and never go back in that room. So Father M, he performs a minor rite on the house at this point. Now, a minor rite, you don't have to have permission from what I understand. It's a major rite that you do. So minor, he just kind of Googled and figured it out, I guess. I don't really know. Um, And he's like... Hey, family, why don't you guys, the, the Ammons family, he's like, what I need you guys to do is try to figure out the names of the demons that might be possessing you guys. And so the family starts doing some research. And they say when they're doing their research, their computer kept shutting off, issues with the computer, all the fun things. But they do end up finding the name Beezlebub, which is often associated to black flies or swarms of flies. Which, if we remember, that was the first thing they saw. I didn't really get into a lot of details about the actual rites that they performed. Nothing crazy happened with them. But after this, Father Magnage, Father M was authorized to to perform the first exorcism. Um, Like, this one is a major rite, so he had to get the backing of the church on this one. So how I understood it is that a minor rite while it might be effective, it's not as effective as a major right because a major right has the church's backing. So that's how I understood it. So he does these major rights. And just as a side note, he said this was his first right he had done in his 21 years as a bishop. So like, he's not taking this lightly. He's not like, like an exorcism for you and one for you. And one, you know? He's not like the Oprah of exorcisms. No, here. no, no, no. Their final exorcism was in June 2012. And 
the family was reunited in November of 2012. So remember, they kicked that scene away in April and then reunited in November. So just a little over six months later. Now, the Ammons family moved to Indianapolis in 2012. Not long after the, I mean, they went to the hospital and they were like, peace out, not going back in there. Yeah, after, they, yeah, after they moved, they claimed that all activity stops. Didn't, nothing followed them, I guess. I don't know. Oh, thank uh, God. All right, let's talk about skeptics before we talk about our homeboy, Zach Baggins. So their family physician, Jeffrey, Dr. Jeff, is skeptical about the whole thing. When he was in the home around the family, he said he failed to witness any paranormal events, which is contradictory to what the family claimed of the little boy being thrown against the wall. So there's that. He also, in his medical notes, he noted delusions of ghosts in the home and hallucinations. So he, he didn't really believe it was anything demonic. Um, a lot of skeptics, skeptics also say that the Ammons children had a history of irregular school attendance. And Ammons actually had a complaint against her in 2009 for the same thing. So people think that this irregular school attendance is now being blamed on demonic activities. So now they're saying, well, they can't go to school because they're possessed. Or they can't go to school because they're sick because the demons make them sick. Or that things seems, of that nature. That seems yeah. like a stretch. Yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I just feel like there's other excuses you can go for. Homeschool them at that point. Get them in that demon 101. Yes. Right? According to skeptical investigator Joe Nickel, he stated that police chief Charles Austin was, I think I have him as a captain listed somewhere else. A either way, police officer Charles Austin was an admitted believer in the supernatural, including of ghosts. So he's like, well, let's get him in here. <laughs> right? He's like, well, he already believed it. It didn't take a lot of convincing. He also says that the, f the photo published by the Indie Star, the one that with the wispy figure, wasn't an official photo taken by the police. It was a photo taken off of an iPhone of Charles Austin's. So he's like, it's not even like official evidence or photo or anything. It's just an iPhone photo that was attributed to the police because the police chief took it like off of his personal device. So, I mean, okay. It's still a creepy picture. So I don't care what it was taken on. Yeah. He also said he interviewed a ton of witnesses and he concluded that there were a number number of non-supernatural explanations for the claimed supernatural events. Uh, Charles Reed, the landlord, stated that he had never experienced any supernatural events in the house. He said his prior tenants never claimed to have any experiences and his next tenants didn't have any issues. So he's like, why is it just the Ammons family? Like, what's happening? He Dang. did stay at the time Ammons was behind on rent. And she used the claim paranormal act of a paranormal activities to avoid payments because, you know, she's not able to make it into work. She's missing sleep. She's whatever it is. She's paying Father M an arm and a leg to get rid of the demons. Yeah, honestly, blame him. Yeah. So. He basically he was like, it's all a hoax. I don't believe any of it. The children were interviewed by psychologists and the professionals basically said they were acting deceptively and in accordance with their mother's beliefs. One psychologist, Tracy Wright, noted that the youngest son acted possessed whenever he was challenged or asked questions that he did not want to answer. 
a lot of Ammon's family also said this did not happen. So you've got a lot of like back and forth of things not happening. People definitely believe that it could have just been for money of some sort. I can um, see that. And they're making her look really what skeptical here, I guess. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, if the church actually stepped in and did an exorcism, they don't do a lot of exorcisms. So right. I'm inclined to believe that they had a reason to come do this. Right. So that's the skeptics of like the, well, this and this and this. I don't listen. If she was behind on rent, I'm blaming the demons. Even if the demons were all in her head or they were just her children. Yeah. The demons made it not possible. Okay. Yeah. Whether you can see them or you made them, it's the demon's fault. <laughs> Annie heard that. I could tell. And she was <laughs> letting you know that she she's making good on that. Well, in 2014, our favorite person. Zach Baggins purchases the house. It said it was for $35,000, which I was like, that is a steal. 2011? 2014. 2014. I'm going way back to the beginning here. Yeah. I was yeah. like, mm, that's, that's like a steal. It, yeah, it does. And I, you know what? If that house was truly for sale for that $35,000, maybe it's because it was possessed and no one would buy it. It's too much still. The only person, will, which here's the thing. Zach Baggins is, you know, he's rolling in the dough. Yeah. You could have charged him more. Yeah. yeah. And he could have paid more. Yeah. So anyways, point it. I guess maybe they don't want to drive up property value around. I don't know. So he did film a documentary called Demon House, which was released in March 2016. Nope. Released in March 2018. I think I've seen that. Well, I'm not going to go into a lot of details on it just because, I mean, I don't want to get sued. Um, he basically goes on, I think he opens this by saying this house is like one of the ones that effed him up the most. Um, he thought it would be like a pretty straightforward case and it took them three years to finish the documentary. He said it was cursed. It had all sorts of things happen. I mean, it, it was it was a lot to take in for that. But during that documentary, they did attempt to reach out to Latoya Ammons, um, who refused any interviews from Zach. Um, granted, he had been in the house, and she was like, F no, I'm not going anywhere near you after you've been in the house. Rightfully so. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are like, wow, this documentary is so crazy. It's so compelling. It's got so much evidence. Other people are like, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, it's a pseudo-documentary. Whatever, you know? <laughs> so, if you want to watch it, it is on Discovery+. Plus. Um, I highly recommend everyone get Discovery+. Plus. I love that. Aside from the fact that it's a pain in the butt to play on my TV, but we're not going to get into that. Um, it's great. After Zach recorded the home in 2016, January 2016, he actually has the house demolished. It's gone. So. Okay. And yeah. now what? <laughs> well, now there have been numerous reports of demonic or satanic rituals taking place on the property. So let's just Way make it go. work. Yeah. Now they're free out in the open air. Why don't we just put a Starbucks there and see what happens? <laughs> that might be a fun Starbucks. Could you get the demons to work there? 
I feel like no. I feel like they're just going to turn the lights on and off and (laughs) you're going to find a pink plastic press-on fingernail in your latte. I just feel like they're going to throw your lattes at you. (laughs) Can you imagine? This is express. (laughs) Wait, expressos? Espresso. Demonic espresso. Anyway. (laughs) So that is the story of Demon. I have seen... Like, I haven't watched it, but that documentary is in my list. I think you should watch it tonight. I might. Or tomorrow. Or another day. I Just watch it soon. <laughs> okay. I, I probably will watch it. I think I've started watching it, and I cut it off because I was creeped out. I don't know. I don't. I watched it, like, three times. Didn't pay attention any of the times. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great piece of information. Put that up in here. Sometimes I worry about watching stuff like that because I watch it when I have Annie and I'm putting her down for the night. And Uh I'm like, if you watch these, what if you start babbling to stuff that's not there? So. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. What if you, what if I find you talking to a boy in the closet that's telling you what it feels like to be killed? Also, can you translate for me? Yes. So, anyways, that is that Steven House for you. I hope you enjoyed or didn't enjoy. I don't really care what happened. I did enjoy that a lot. Okay. I, I feel like I didn't shut up through the entire thing, <laughs> but sorry. <laughs> because that pink press-on nail got you. The single pink press-on. Every time. I, it just makes me want to vomit. It's like just, it catches and in my it, It's also covered in dirt. This I don't know why that... Out of everything you said, the stuff that stuck out the most to me was that damn pink press-on nail and just the ankle of a sock. The ankle, the sock warmer, the ankle warmer, leg warmers. I don't know what the hell they are. The warmers. It's just like, why? What did you you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, it kind of makes sense because maybe they just didn't want their their socks to show through their shoes so they cut the ankle off and wore the rest of the sock and then just threw the ankle wouldn't that just roll down i would assume so look i didn't say i did it okay okay. well they have have socks for that i did do that when i was young okay well they they do have socks specifically so you can't you can't be seen they also do roll down if you cut the ankles off um anyways so thank you all so much for watching or are they watching Thank you for listening to Hell on Hills podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Hills podcast, Twitter at Hell on Hills pod, Facebook by searching Hell on Hills podcast. You can find us on uh, Linktree by typing in Hell on Hills podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on all your preferred on all your preferred listening platforms. Do, if you want yeah. to take yes, don't stop at one. Do all of them. If you want to take your support to the next level, uh, we do have our Patreon, which we already talked about a little bit. So you can go in and support us there where we have different levels of subscriptions uh, and more content for you to enjoy. You can, uh, I'm losing it today. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, if you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to force your friends to listen with you as well. This has been Hell on Heels Podcast. Bye. Bye.